0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Please be seated. So good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Father Mark. The other Father Mark is out sick. We hope he will be back for um, soon. Uh, I guess there's a, well, we'll do announcements later. So um, I thought I would read to you about the Saints for today out of the prologue of Oak Ridge by somebody who was a professor at St. Ticon's, where I went to seminary. Uh, St. Nikolai Velomirovich. He died in the 1950s. That was before I was born, so I never met him. But his presence is still, can be felt sometimes at the seminary. So today we have the holy martyrs Minas, Hermogenes, and Eugraphus. Both Minas and Hermogenes were born in Athens. They both lived in Byzantium, being held in great honor by the emperor and the people. Minas was known for his great learning and eloquence of speech, and although he acted outwardly as a pagan, he was a convinced Christian in his heart. Hermogenes was Eparch of Byzantium and acted as a pagan both inwardly and outwardly, but he was compassionate and performed many good deeds. When a dispute flared up between the Christians and the pagans in Alexandria, the Emperor Maximin dispatched Minas to to calm the disturbance and root out the Christians from the city. Minas went and restored peace but declared himself a Christian and converted many pagans to the true faith by his eloquence and many miracles. Hearing of this, the emperor sent Hermogenes to punish Minas and smother Christianity. Hermogenes brought Minas to trial, cut off his feet and tongue, gouged out his eyes, and cast him into prison. In prison, the Lord Jesus himself appeared to Minas, healing and comforting his suffering servant. Seeing Minas miraculously healed, Hermogenes was baptized he began to preach the powerful Christian faith and was consecrated as bishop of Alexandria. This enraged Maximin who went to Alexandria himself and subjected Minas and Hermogenes to cruel tortures which they courageously endured, helped by God's grace. Beholding the bravery of these soldiers of Christ and the miracles of God upon them, Eugraphus, a secretary and friend of St. Minas, appeared before the tribunal and cried to the emperor's face, I too am a Christian the emperor became enraged, drew his sword, and beheaded St. Eugraphos. Following this, the evil emperor ordered the executioner to behead St. Minas and St. Hermogenes. Their holy relics, thrown into the sea, miraculously floated to Constantinople, where the bishop, to whom this was revealed in a dream, solemnly met them and honorably buried them. These saints are uh, interesting to me, but the, the names also were kind of familiar. Saint Minas is also uh, the name of a saint beloved by the Christians of North Africa. I've, uh, I've seen icons of him with his camel, and uh, he's dressed as a young man as a soldier. I don't know if it's the same person though. Uh, and then there's also a Hermogenes who's numbered among the unmercenary healers. And as to Eugraphos, that's not a name I'm familiar with, but if you're a secretary or a scribe, I think if my Greeks write Eugraphos means like somebody who writes well. So, good writing or something. Like, did he get that name before or after he was made a secretary? I don't know. Um, the epistle reading this morning, uh, in the Orthodox Study Bible, there's some notes. Oh, by the way, that's on page 1609. I don't know if you all have those in the pews or not, uh, but in some churches they do. Um, so, the reading from... Uh, from Ephesians 6:10 through 17 is, is it's on page uh, what did I say 1609, and and in there there's this comment that says that this reading is for the occasion of various people who are confessors or martyrs for the faith, and the notes say um, more or less anyway that if you stand for good you'll get some opposition, and that. Sometimes this will be demonic. The demonic powers, they still exist. They have some activity in this world, but we need not fear them so much on account of having our baptism and God's grace, and and God will protect us. Nevertheless, we'll still be opposed. Maybe not to the extent of being beheaded by the emperor with his own sword, but but nevertheless, we'll, we'll face some opposition. This goes on to, the epistle goes on to talk about how we should be fighting with God's armament uh, and being protected by the armor of God. And the notes talk about this in terms of the uncreated energy of God. Uh, the whole essence energy distinction, uh, that, that could be a semester course in seminary and, and was, we won't do that whole course right now. But, but the idea is that God's power exists within us, um, we were, you know, if we were all baptized uh, and chrismated into this power of God, sealed with it, if you will. And uh, I found out at seven this morning I was going to be preaching, so I didn't have time to do the usual preparation. But it seems to me as if there's a little bit of a correspondence between the various kinds of armor of God that are enumerated in the epistle and the places where the baby is sealed with the. Uh, the chrism, but I, I don't think it's totally one-to-one, and I didn't have time to dig out a copy of the baptismal text and, and all that to be sure, but it's something that's interesting, an interesting parallel. You know, we're, we're given the same Holy Spirit in our chrismation that the Apostles were given at Pentecost, and sometimes I wonder, and I don't think I'm the only one, why it is this power isn't more evident in this era. Um, You know, it's not like when I walk down the street, if there's somebody sitting on the sidewalk that when my shadow falls on them, they get healed, okay? That's not, you know, that that doesn't happen these days quite the same way. And so, thinking about some possible reasons why it seems as if things are different now versus then, you know, one thing that comes to mind is again something in the epistle. Do we know God's word well enough? And this this idea of word has at least two senses, probably many more. But one is the sense of do we know Scripture well enough? And you know, oftentimes we priests we get up here, we give these sermons, and you know, it's it's sort of like if you point at somebody, you have several fingers pointing back at you. And so sometimes the the sermon is as much needed for the the priest as it is for the congregation. But you know, our a lot of our evangelical brethren out there, sometimes it feels like they know scripture better than we do. We have the same number of hours in the day and the, and more or less the same text of the, of the Bible. Maybe we should study it some more. Also, word in this sense could mean the person of Jesus Christ and we can know him through prayer. And so, uh, do we pray enough? Do we really practice what we preach uh, as as Christians, well, the things that we say in the creed or in the liturgy generally. you know, This brings to mind also the idea of practice, and I'm not much for sports, but what little I've played in sports gives me the sense that there's at least two ideas here when it comes to practicing or practicing what we preach. One is that any coach I've ever listened to for very long often talks about how you need to get back to the various fundamentals of whatever sport you're, you're playing. Uh, if we're Christians, I think our, our and we're going to look at Christianity through the lens of sports then maybe our fundamentals are things like prayer, scripture, fasting, uh, making a confession. Uh, I'm going to put my thumb here so I can find my spot again. You know, we're, we're told um, in seminary anyway that You know, you should go to confession when you're sure you need to. uh, Also, when maybe you're sure you don't need to, because that's probably a sign you might need to go to confession too. Um, I don't know. There's a priest I used to know, he's now deceased, who would come out uh, several times a year, generally leading into the Christmas fast, leading into the fast in the spring before Easter, and then also before the Dormition of the Mother of God, and remind us, you know, now's a good time to schedule an appointment to make a confession. Now, that's easy for me to say, I don't have to be the one necessarily to hear your confessions, I mean, I could, but that's properly, probably Father Mark's job. Um, But I don't think he's gonna be upset with me for making extra work for him this way. Um, uh, You know, it's something that we would all in the congregation go, oh no, not again, we have to go to confession. But most of us, I think, when we walk away from a confession, we feel such a sense of lightness and closeness to God that we wonder, why did we put this off? Um, Anyway, so back to my notes. You know, we need also, under these fundamentals of prayer, scripture, fasting, and confession, probably frequent preparation and receiving of Holy Communion is one of the basics as well. All right, so the other sort of idea that sports brought to mind here was that most of the time in sports, there's a certain amount of struggle that you have to go through, but the struggle is what gives you the growth. And so I think that ties in sort of with Eugraphos you know, and Hermogenes and, and, and Aminos, is that there was a certain struggle in their lives there. Theirs was shorter, theirs was more like a sprint. Whereas for most of us, I certainly hope anyway, that for most of us life is more like a marathon and less like a sprint. Um, Yeah, so uh, that that distinction was brought to me by a a monk friend of mine years ago. It requires a certain amount of what we call in the church deification. There's this idea in orthodoxy that salvation is in a sense instantaneous. We know that we're saved through our baptism and we have this assurance of that, yes. And we also have a sense of salvation in the future tense in that we have hope in God's mercy and love that on the the last day we'll stand at the great judgment and hear well done good and faithful servant, at least through God's mercy. But there's also this sense in orthodoxy, we see it in the lives of the monastic saints among others. that that there's a, a process to this. There's a, an active, I'm not a very good grammarian, but an active verb sort of kind of thing to this where we start at one place and we gradually ascend and, and that we're supposed to get better over time. Yes, we'll have some stumbles and some falls, but hopefully if we take two steps forward for every you know one backward, we're making general forward progress. And so this idea of deification is important and that we we become through God's grace uh, what God is by nature. Uh, That one I think is a quote from St. Athanasius. So turning to the gospel for a second and talking about this idea of struggle, this woman faced 18 years of being stooped over with this infirmity and uh, depending on how old you are or what you've been through in life, 18 years can seem like absolutely forever maybe even impossible, some of, some of our folks here aren't even 18 yet, uh, or it might seem, well, that's a long time, but you know, okay. Um, regardless, she went through this struggle, and, and I think that's meant to tell us that we too may have some struggles in life. Very often, if you look at the lives of the saints, you'll see this, this situation where the saint is given a certain amount of grace, when they enter the monastery or they make a, a real decision for Christ, something like that, there's this great upswelling of grace and fervor in their lives. And yet, oftentimes, it seems like somebody comes along and lets the airs out of that, the tires of that spiritual vehicle. And and that they they sort of bump along for a, a while, sometimes decades, before they ever get back to a place where they can recover that initial sense of grace. So, so there is gonna be some struggle, some, some sense of, some deification there. Also, again, if you go back to the Orthodox Study Bible, uh, the reading from uh, Luke's Gospel for today is on page 1394. There's a note in the text that I had never noticed before which talks about this number 18. If you think about that, it, it points out that in Greek it, it's, it says 10 and eight, but kind of, that's true in English, too, if you slow down. The word 18 has 8 plus 10 in it as well, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's there in the root of the word, right? I mean, are you with me on this? And so what are the, these are two very important numbers when we look at the history of the church. The 10 could be seen, according to the notes in the Orthodox Study Bible, as referring to the Ten Commandments and the era of the time before Christ through that, and the eight could refer to the eighth day of creation, which is a, a word or metaphor for Pascha, or for the resurrection of Christ, and all of history after that. And so, so these 18 years represent, in a sense, all of salvation history. I'm not really sure exactly how to tie that in and, and more than that, but I just thought that was very interesting and, and couldn't not say something about it. Um, you know, without, I guess, one way to tie it in a little bit is that without Christ, we're sort of like this woman, crushed down with all the infirmities and troubles that life brings upon us. But with Christ, we have the possibility to stand straight and proud and march out into the world and proclaim the gospel and, and give some people some hope. Um, so with that, Let's be inspired by, these, uh, by the Christmas season. I got out the red vestments in honor of that. Uh, and also, let us be inspired by these saints and make use of the power and the armor of God and live toward the eighth day. Amen.